Welcome to the Collective Perspective. This is a collaborative program with friends that share an interest in the truth as it is, not simply as we wish it would be. Tonight, our featured guest, Reverend Dr. Kathy Hearn, the community spiritual leader of the United Church of Religious Science, now known as the United Centers for Spiritual Living, with Isaac Connor, Joshua Boylan, Leanne Hively and Salako, Celine Yohimas, Ryan Redabon, Neil Whitelaw, Matthew Ketterman, Lupe Torres, and Carol Klotz, with music by Matthew Ketterman and the Miracle Choir. To give you an idea of who Kathy really is in my life, I'll just say briefly, for those of you who maybe weren't a part of the first couple of shows, uh, in my spiritual journey, when I uh, moved to San Diego, I had been an atheist not long before that, simply because of not having any kind of religious indoctrination in my life, and uh, and then being proposed with this idea of God that didn't really seem to make sense to me. I had an experience at one point it occurred to me that God did exist, it just wasn't in the form that it had been described to me as. And when I moved to San Diego, I uh, was exploring everything that was in that city that was of interest to me. One of those things was a book signing by an author named Neil Donald Walsh, and he wrote the book Conversations with God, a series of books actually. So we went there, my friend Scott and I, and we're pretty overwhelmed by this place, which this book signing was occurring called the Pacific Church of Religious Science. Didn't really know what that was or what it meant, but we did know we felt really good there, and we saw people genuinely engaged with one another. Uh, there were people that I saw laughing, hugging, crying, but it, it certainly was not something that I had experienced in churches previously when I was curious about this thing called church, and that is it didn't seem to be a place that people were simply punching a spiritual time card and then going home. It seemed to be talking about the real stuff of life. And and uh, at that time, I believe the congregation was somewhere around a couple thousand, um, a lot of them homosexuals, which was also kind of reaffirming for me because it showed in, that it was inclusionary. And, um, and Kathy really was kind of the the magnet for all of us at the time. She just had a way of speaking where you felt like you really were being, being spoken directly to as, as opposed to just uh, someone giving some kind of general sermon. But that's, that's a talent I'm sure one has to, to learn and, and develop over time. But, um, but just to say that Kathy was and is a very, very large part of my understanding of the divine in life. So uh, I thank you for that, Reverend Kathy. So can you tell me a little bit about who Kathy Hearn was before she became the person that I know her to be? <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't really know where to start uh, on that. Um, you know, I think I was a person questing. And uh, I had done a lot of different uh, kinds of jobs, and I was looking for, I thought I was going to be a high school English teacher. And, um, and when I had what I would call a mystical experience walking across the USC campus in downtown LA, uh, that suddenly became very uninteresting to me. And I had been studying the American transcendentalists and Eastern religion and, and really I guess hypercharging my mind with ideas about the unity of all of life and being present in the present moment and something really cracked open for me. Um, so I began to question 
for um, for my relationship with a larger reality that I was a part of. And and before that, you know, I think I was just wandering around trying to figure out what my life was all about. Hmm. When you think back to that time, can you remember kind of, uh, I don't know how to put it, maybe a, uh, a creeping up of sorts of, of this this change, this monumental shift in your life that was going to happen? Hmm. It was more, yeah, I guess so, because, uh, through, again, through literature and through these, these writers that were talking about the oneness of existence. And then on a personal level, my father died, and that was a very strange thing because he hadn't really been present in my life, but it was a very difficult loss. And I broke up with a boyfriend, and I think those painful things uh, made me available to, to something greater that wanted to come into my awareness. It was like I got cracked open and able to receive something larger in my awareness. Hmm. You know, one of the things that really struck me when I was at your church, our church at the time, was that our, my story, my, my back story, seem to coincide with some of your some parts of your story such as not having my father in my life and and then also once my curiosity really was um, unquenchable I, I I went in the direction of Taoism and Buddhism numerology astrology and just I, I, th <laughs> I think I was looking for one thing that was going to be the end all finishing point and I could completely subscribe to something and then I found that the truth for me really was everywhere and there was truth in all of those things and, mm -hmm. and I remember you telling your story and it seemed somewhat similar can you describe that a little bit yeah after the incident that I related I started going to the Bodhi Tree bookstore in, in uh, West Hollywood and and reading every everything I could get my hands on, and one one book led to another, and I too explored um, esoteric astrology and tarot and the ancient teachings of the ages, and you know, just about just about everything. I think also looking you know looking for that thing that made sense to me. Um, so I think we've traveled the same path, Isaac. Certainly similar. <laughs> Right, and, and after that, um, after that was I was up in Seattle, and I came across the writings of Ernest Holmes and the New Thought Writers, and that's where it all began to gel for me, because I was then reading about a system that was highly spiritual, but also deeply practical about living living the spiritual life, and that's what I had been looking for. So, in preparing for this show, I some of the things that came up have come up consistently since I became a member of uh, what at one point was the United Church of Religious Science and uh, officially is now the United Centers of Spiritual Living. Is that correct? Right. That's okay. right. And and that is, uh, is this Scientology because the word science is in there. Mm -hmm. um, but actually religious science is derived from Christian science. Is that correct? You know, it's um, religious science is part of what's called the New Thought Movement, and we are related to um, to that the whole lineage of Christian science, but not exactly the same. 
there was a stream of thought that was starting to happen, you know, back in the 1800s and then had more ancient roots as well. So I, I call Mary Baker Eddy kind of our, one of our relatives. Okay. And I know, Carol, you had talked about discovering or perusing at least the New Thought movement. Is that right, Carol? It was listed along with uh, Jainism, Sikhism, you know, some, some things that I'd, I'd never heard of and, and I hadn't come across in my anywhere, but apparently uh, they my beliefs seemed to coincide with them uh, in whatever way. And uh, I know that one, one question that had been on my mind for m numerous years and a person asked me at one point in 1985, he said to me, uh, Carol, what is the meaning of life? And I said, I don't know. And he said to me, is that okay not to know? And I said, no. And that, uh, I guess, you know, was sort of my story in a nutshell, you know, I, I, it's something I, I felt that I needed to find out some way. And, and like, uh, like Isaac mentioned, I, I believe I was looking for some, some, some answer, you know, that would, that would be a very sort of a, a distinct finding. And I, I have realized that it's a process more so. It's a journey uh, rather than a destination. I know we have a couple people from varying faiths. I don't know if, I don't think JR is on with us, but he is an atheist. And uh, Ryan, I believe you're with us now. Yes? I am. Hello. Hi. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Good. Good to hear your voice again. Yes. You follow uh, a religious faith, do you not? Um, I grew up in the, the church. I, I, I grew up, I did the, my family was Christian, and um, but it didn't really resonate for me growing up in high school, kind of, I was just living life, and in college, I started to turn more to the Christian faith uh, with the curiosity, and um, really kind of dove into it a little, little he more heavily outside of college, and then uh, also spent some time in, in college exploring the Eastern traditions, and I would say I'm kind of in a place now where, like, I definitely did the identified strongly with the Christian faith um, for a good couple years and then this last year I've kind of approached life more more with open mind and um, essentially embracing all all faiths all traditions and, and seeing the various ways in which they are um, you know pointing to a deeper truth and a sense of our own being and interconnectedness and that's something that's been really inspiring to me lately so I would say I'm kind of currently at a place spiritually just very open-minded and embraceive of all, all walks of life all, all traditions hmm. but but yeah I'm, I'm kind of I have some experience and knowledge of the, the Christian tradition and uh, some of the Eastern traditions, the the Buddhist path, and things of that nature. Okay, yeah, Ryan and I had, uh, for those of you who are, uh, have not met Ryan yet, he was our featured artist for Meet the Artist Monday on WXPI, and we had a very long, very beautiful talk, actually. It was, uh, it was really nice. Yeah, um, I enjoyed that. It was good to hear back, too. Yeah, and Joshua, um, long-time 
brother of mine, and uh, you, I, I think you and I have shared so many conversations, and I know that you also are a very spiritual human being, but you've been enjoying uh, a Catholic church in your neighborhood. Are you still attending? Uh, actually, no, I haven't been uh, attending. Um, I did just uh, complete uh, Curcio weekend. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the idea of Curcio, it's a uh, uh, four-day, or actually three-day intensive, uh, you know, uh, immersion uh, back into, um, you know, uh, Christian faith and tenets. So I would say it's, it was largely attended by Catholic uh, individuals. However, there were atheists uh, in attendance. It was... Um, it's really kind of difficult to explain. It was actually one of the most beautiful three days I've spent in a long time. Um, you know, regardless of, of what you believed, even though it was very Christ-centered, um, it was more. Um, it wasn't as preachy as it was just entering into really wonderful, loving dialogue with a bunch of people about what it means to to live a spiritual life in a modern age. And and uh, obviously, it came from the standpoint of living a, a Christ-centered life, but. Uh, then that begs the question: What does that mean? I think that that's that that term and and that word is th is thrown around a lot and uh, oftentimes misused um, or taken out of the context in which it is used appropriately. Um, having said that, um, if I may back up for a second, I actually just became I was just sitting here <coughs> looking through uh, uh, Reverend Kathy's um, or not her website, but the website of the church and. I was not aware of the affiliation with um, Church of Christ Scientist, which actually I was a part of um, initially back uh, when I was in the Navy. I found it in boot camp um, and started attending services uh, routinely. Um, but that was, again, back to the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy and, and the whole movement that came up through that. So this seems to be yet another evolution or, or uh, derivative off of that, uh, that stream. And I'm very interested uh, in, in understanding more. I'm actually just trying to go through the website now and learn a bit more about what the nature or uh, fundamental tenets are. But um, uh, to wrap it up, so I'm not taking up so much time, um, I guess my my experience is, is uh, those of you that know me know, is pretty divergent. Um, I, I look for truth uh, everywhere. I think it usually is. Um, every place you look for it, starting within. And without finding it there, it really doesn't exist anywhere without. Um, so, from you know, uh, Buddhism to Taoism to Christianity to Islam and the Sufis and the transcendental poets and writers and thinkers and um, you know, m many people in my own life, you know, you, you find uh, shadows and and light, and hopefully uh, uh, they they aren't. <laughs> they are too confusing about what to what. <laughs> WXPI 88.5, independent radio for open minds. Mm. Well, we have quite a few different um, backgrounds here, and I, I think everyone should have a chance to be included in this forum. But um, Reverend Kathy, would you maybe be able to, to give some kind of an idea, a, a short summary of what it is that the Church of Religious Science is about? And... Also, why the Church of Religious Science, but also Science of Mind? Uh, yes. Uh, we, we like to say that uh, Religious Science or Science of Mind is a philosophy of faith and a way of life. And so it is, you know, a system of principles that um, express God and our relationship with God 
um, that we seek to develop our faith in and then live uh, powerfully. And Ernest Holmes, who was the founder of it, was a great synthesizer of all the all the religions of the world. And so he, he too, as, as has been stated here by several people, he was looking for the truth that is true and that can be found in so many places. And he was seeking to bring forth a system that is highly spiritual but also deeply practical. Um, and I said that before, but I want to emphasize it again so that it's about living our spirituality. And so the term religious science actually is our denomination, and science of mind is the study. But we use them interchangeably. Um, and I think the greatest thing for me was was that it has supported this awareness of, of the one that is all, and that our thought is creative, and that our, our nature is divine, and that we're here to live you know, lives of great uh, beauty and contribution on the planet. So that, in a nutshell, is what the path has been for me. If I'm understanding correctly, um, it seems like uh, that spirituality is within all of us. Is that is that part of your philosophy? Absolutely. We would say that everything comes from the one, and so everything mm -hmm. in creation is divine. Mm -hmm. we so we talk we talk a lot about the divine truth of our being, or you could call it the Christ uh, self or the Buddha nature. You know, that same mm -hmm. idea is expressed through many uh, different systems. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, as far as defining God, a oneness as opposed to Trinity? Well, you know, we're getting into complexities now, but um, mm -hmm. we would say uh, that God is one. Mm -hmm. And for us, in Science of Mind, we do, we do have a Trinity. We call it spirit, mind, and body. Mm -hmm. um, and the Christian side of that would be Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. and and there are parallels there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it's the understanding that each one of us is the is the unique and individualized incarnation of Spirit itself, and so we have within us Christ nature or the Buddha nature, depending mm -hmm. upon which frame of reference you're looking from. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm asking is I'm I'm trying to get a sense of what what um, how would you describe the difference between religious science versus say Buddhism or versus uh, Christianity per se if that's if that's possible well, to describe well, that. Well, it's interesting those two that you mentioned because Ernest Thomas was such a reader of all the world's religions. There is a tremendous amount of. Um, mystical Christianity in, in science of mind mm -hmm. and there's a fair amount of Buddhism as well he was a, a man who was synthesizing as I said the truth that is true mm -hmm. and so so why I while I wouldn't define us as a as a Christian religion the way some people would mm -hmm. define that now I, I define us as a Christ-based uh, religion uh, in that we're always speaking about the consciousness that Jesus had that we seek to fully orb within ourselves and then to live from. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot about uh, mind that is in Buddhism that is also mm -hmm. science of mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it was uh, almost a, a, uh, a search for uh, what, is, what is true in Western religion and what is true in Eastern religion and sort of uh, um, coming up with a, a sort of a, a synthesis or a combination of, of uh, the, the, the truths from those two areas? 
Absolutely, and I would say that the thing that Science of Mind adds in is the creative power of thought. I uh, did say once, uh, well, often used to say, it was part of the uh, founding uh, tenets of the Kai, was look for the similarities. And you look at people who constantly draw attention to the differences, because often they only try and draw attention to themselves. But and and that's been basically what you were just saying, Carol, is is something that that I personally have been um, seeking out and exploring since I first started to wake up. And mm -hmm. for me, that through uh, reading uh, Lao Tzu and uh, and Benjamin Hoff, and there was this um, you know like doorway that opened and. Uh, world that continued to make me go and look at all these different religions, all these different faiths, all these wonderful realized enlightened people, what do they have in common? I think a lot of attention is often paid to differences because there, we can get into reasons for that. A lot of that is political and controlling, etc. But if you get to like the core of what so much of these seemingly divergent philosophies or religions actually speak to, the people that started them, it's so similar. You know, it's maybe dialectically different. Um, in terms of where they were, where they grew up, where they were born, what the what the cultural parameters were at the time, but at the core, it all points to I think this this idea of you are, we are all one. It is the divine within, and it's just the myriad ramification or the myriad expressions of a singular reality. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on the, um, you said create creativity of mind, that's the one thing that distinguishes you? So can you elaborate? Sure. Uh, creative power of thought um, is, is what I said. We understand that, that thoughts become things and that, um, that, it, that our consciousness manifests in the world, or, and it, it particularly uh, in our own individual lives. And so we, um, we spend time uh, learning about taking responsibility for what moves through our consciousness because we know we're going to be living what we focus on most completely. Does that make sense to you the way I said that? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and so um, so that's what we add into the things that we've been talking about. So so we spend time, you know, in, in what we would say in consciousness, looking at the thoughts that, that we're thinking and what it is that we would like to um, bring forth into expression in our lives. We're just seeking to do that consciously. Uh, I think that this creative process is happening all the time, but we're doing it often unconsciously. So we're just trying to be conscious about it and to bring forth, you know, the things that we truly, um, that truly are helpful and good in the world. Uh, so if I may ask you, um, how, how do you explain the existence of evil in the world? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> I'm laughing because it is such a great question. You know, um, uh, re religious science does not have a devil. <laughs> so, uh, so what we say is there actually is only one thing. But we know as people living on a relative plane that we can turn to the good and turn away from the good. And so I would call evil, and, and I'm not really all that comfortable with that word, but I would call the not good when people turn away from good and do the things that are harmful to themselves and harmful to each other and harmful to the planet and harmful to life. We, we don't have an entity of evil in our philosophy. We just have the evil that people do. Okay. Uh, I guess that, that was sort of a, a general way of 
you know, describing things like violence towards others, towards the environment, towards uh, animals, uh, war, just generally, you know, those things that would, you know, would be considered not good, you know, the opposite of, of good, and, and how people uh, get that, sort of get led on that path rather than a path towards good in their lives. If you're asking that as a question, you know, I mean, we all know, we all have pain in our own individual lives and we know what we've done to um, transcend that and not, not live out of the woundings of the past. And there are many people who either don't have that information, haven't done the work, don't know that it's possible. Um, you know, they've grown up in environments where there is scarcity and fear and where violence looks like it's the right thing to do. And of course, any one of us probably pushed to a certain place uh, could enact violence. I would hope not, but it could happen. And yet we always have a choice. Those of us who know and who are awake have a choice about what we're going to live in alignment with. And will we do our best to live in alignment with good and love and peace and, you know, all the principles that, um, that can be valued? Or do we turn away from those things and enact other, other than that in the world? That's the choice, as I see it, very simply stated. Is there any particular literature uh, such as, uh, uh, you know, do you recognize the Bible as being like the source of, or is there some other literature that's considered to be uh, the source of, of, of truth and, uh, and wisdom? We're, you know, our philosophy all honors all paths, saying that all paths lead to God. And so we revere and, and support and utilize uh, all of the sacred scriptures. You know, each individual minister is going to have the thing that they love to speak about, and it may not, and some people are more inclusive than others. But there is a, a definite honoring of all paths. The way I like to think about it is just as there's no one human language that makes all of the sounds that a human being can make, there is no one religion that has all of the revelation that we can have about this basically unknowable thing called God. And so just like it takes all the languages of the world to make all the sounds that a human being can make, it takes all the religions of the world to even begin to have um, insight and understanding into God. And so we appreciate all of the sources. We have our own book called The Science of Mind, which is our textbook. But we don't hold it as the one and only source. Um, uh, just getting back to uh, what what uh, the precursor of that, that that question, Carol, was you know that this nature of, of evil and you know like Christians, uh, science of mind doesn't have you know a, an ultimate evil character, uh, uh, you know as you know the devil or whatever. Um, and something that I've been like lit literally thinking about excessively uh, for a while now is. What, what that question was, like, why does it exist, why does evil exist, etc. And something that is, um, you know, just keeps coming back to me, and I wanted to just, um, you know, bounce it off of you, uh, Dr. Hearn, if you would, um, and I, for fear that maybe it's overly simplistic, but, you know, I, we've been going back to, you know, uh, commandments of Christian faith, you know, different tenets, um, you know, that say you should not do these things, etc. And one thing I, I keep coming back to is, you know, that like the in in the Christian faith, the very first two things are, you know, love God with your whole heart, mind, body, soul, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the second. And it seems to me that you could pretty much take everything that's going on that is um, 
quote, evil in the world and boil it down to an inability or an unwillingness for most everyone to, to do those things. I'm not saying everybody, but I mean, why does why do why is it okay to exploit the environment, to exploit other people, to to do this? It's because of a lack of a recognition that of the oneness of ourselves, of of, of the divine within our brother uh, and our sister, to to love them as we love ourselves, as we love God. And I just I don't know. Maybe that is an overly simplistic uh, view of it, but it just seems like you know, if you really love somebody, are you going to do the things that we do? Um, all the time to other people, you know, because we can justify it by saying, well, they're not us. They're different. Their skin color is different. They speak a different language. They have a different God they pray to. Whatever it is, it all comes back down to an inability to love them as they are and therefore, in your mind, justify rationally that it's okay to, to put yourself above them because you're better than they are. And from that is this disconnect and this separation of, you know, <clears throat> we're one person, one group, one you know, uh, nation, tribe, whatever uh, can elevate itself or or uh, elevate itself by you know pushing somebody else down, thereby justifying any action they take in the conquest of you know stealing their land or their food or continuing to oppress them. Um, and I just was wondering if you think that it's overly simplistic that it just it, it's born out of a an inability to really truly love other people. WXPI 88.5, independent radio for open minds. I think that's, I may have lost a little bit of your, um, uh, your, your speaking there, but I, I completely agree with you, and I, I think that that there, that is a problem, that we do have the problem of not loving each other. Science of Mind would say that, first of all, we lack, if we, we stand in ignorance of our own true nature, and that if we really knew who we are, and our oneness with God, we would see that same truth in other people and treat them accordingly. And for some reason through time, you know, human beings have made other people the other and they've distanced from them and have hurt them and tried to take from them. And yet I'm so glad we're standing in a time when the greater truth of oneness is, is coming so much more into understanding and expression. That's sort of like ties right into the uh, idea of the 99% for the majority of us <laughs> that recognize that, you know, most of us just want peace, want to get along, want to share the wealth, you know, and want, you know, to end the wars and feed the homeless and, and the starving. And, and why is this so difficult? This movement isn't about the 99% defeating or toppling the 1%. You know the next chapter of that story, which is that the 99% create a new 1%. That's not what it's about. What we want to create is a more beautiful world our hearts tell us is possible, a sacred world, a world that works for everybody, a world that is healing, a world of peace. You can't just say, we demand a world of peace. Demands have to be specific. Anything that people can articulate can only be articulated within the language of the current political discourse. And that entire political discourse is already, is already too small. 
And that's why making explicit demands kind of reduces the movement and takes the heart out of it. And so it's a real paradox. And so I think that the, the movement actually understands that. The system isn't working for the 1% either. You know, if you were a CEO, you would be making the same choices they do. The institutions have their own logic. Life is pretty bleak at the top, too. And all of the baubles of the rich, they're kind of this um, phony compensation for the loss of what's really important, the loss of community, the loss of connection, the loss of, the loss of meaning. Everybody wants to live a life of meaning. And today, we live in a money economy where we don't really depend on the gifts of anybody, but we buy everything. Therefore, we don't really need anybody. Because whoever grew my food, or made my clothes, or built my house, well, if they died, or if I alienate them, if they don't like me, that's okay. I can just pay somebody else to do it. And it's really hard to create community if the underlying knowledge is we don't need each other. So people kind of get together and they act nice, or maybe they consume together. But joint consumption doesn't create intimacy. Only joint creativity and gifts create connection. You have such gifts that are important. Just like every species has an important gift to give to an ecosystem, and the extinction of any species hurts everybody. Same is true of each person that you have a necessary and important gift to give. And that for a long time, our minds have told us that maybe we're imagining things, that it's crazy to live according to what you want to give. But I think now, as more and more people wake up to the truth that we're here to give, wake up to that desire, and wake up to the fact that the other way isn't working anyway, the more reinforcement we have from people around us that this isn't crazy. This makes sense. This is how to live. And as we get that reinforcement, then our minds and our logic no longer have to fight against the logic of the heart, which wants us to be of service. This shift of consciousness that inspires such things is universal in everybody, 99% and 1%. And it's awakening in different people in different ways. I think love is the felt experience of connection to another being. An economist says that essentially more for you is less for me. But the lover knows that more for you is more for me too. If you love somebody, then their happiness is your happiness. Their pain is your pain. Your sense of self expands to include other beings. That's love. Love is the expansion of the self to include the other. And that's a different kind of revolution. There's no one to fight. There's no evil to fight. There's no other in this revolution. Everybody has a unique calling. And it's really time to listen to that. That's what the future is going to be. Time to get ready for it and to help contribute to it and make it happen.
<laughs> Reverend Kathy, uh, the Occupy movement is something that uh, many of us either participate in or uh, are feel strongly about. But uh, in fact, I was just down in D.C. yesterday visiting the Occupy encampment there, and I'm a very political person, and I, I'm very interested in in seeing what you think about having an element of cynicism in one's life or uh, where I think that it, maybe it's necessary. Is, is there such a thing? Do you think that there is such a thing as as being a spiritual person, being aware of that, trying to live a spiritual life uh, while also while also being a part of a, a political process? You know, I think uh, we, we stand in a time when we need to do what we're guided to do. And, um, and we're also in a time where we're welcoming a new world because we're seeing so very clearly what, what is not and has not been working well. I'm pretty fascinated by the Occupy movement. I haven't gone down to engage, but I'm watching. And I love the tone of um, what's spoken and the feeling that, um, that I get from it. And there's something really new that's coming in through this movement um, in, in, its, in its essence. I just yesterday became acquainted for the first time with Gene Sharp and his work. And I understand that he's somebody who's being read um, for the... Um, for the movements that are happening from dictatorship to democracy so I'm fascinated with that and looking forward to reading more but they're more than getting involved in it I'm just watching the evolution and, and I'm, I'm standing as one who welcomes um, a world in which this truth of oneness is revealed and uh, these things that that are not uh, that are not equal, fair, just and helpful are transformed and so can you be political and spiritual too? Absolutely, Isaac, you're <laughs> proof of that. Yeah, I, I, I would say that there's a, a little bit of... Um, I, I'm, I'm very happy with who I am, and I do love what the person that I have learned to become and, and what I'm offering the world, but there's a little bit of an unsettledness uh, inside of me when I... I'm sh I share things, for instance, through Facebook, and I think that... Uh, Facebook is, and, and these types of social media are so invaluable because, to me, it seems as though we're we're experimenting with the collective unconscious, or or even the collective consciousness by using social media, and what I what I share I want to actually matter. So therefore, I I don't really share that I'm going to work or that I'm using the bathroom or things like that. I I share things that I I think people should be considering. And that is um, <clears throat> sharing certain things, certain opinions is is an affront to to many people's belief systems. Mm -hmm. And so I have to I have to either come to terms with that and and be all right with it, or um, or perhaps solve what it is that's unsettled in me. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's my place to necessarily be smacking the back of the hands of people who, who feel differently. But I do think that there's something to be said for, uh, um, as Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam once said about a teacher that he admired, a hard touch. Not everything can be, not all love is warm fuzzy. Some of it is a little bit difficult. So what are your thoughts on that? 
you know, I guess I want to go to the science of mind uh, statement that we we seek to be for something and against nothing, and and of course that's not all. And, and I think what what uh, the emphasis is there is that we speak about what we are for and the good that we're for and the things that we're trying to bring into being. And and of course sometimes we can't help but have that be a statement against. I, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just. There's just so much going on. <laughs> Evolution is happening so fast that, and, and I think we're learning so rapidly. You know, where where I stand these days is, is seeking not to make others wrong, but seeking to collaborate and to understand that we all look through different windows on reality, and that we all have a piece of the truth. And is there some way that we can come together and respect and honor each other and speak through our, you know speak in alignment with what it is that we see, but be able to hear others as well and wor- and, and get out of this right-wrong mm-hmm. sort of dynamic and move to the place where we're really bringing forth, where we're acknowledging what we value and bringing forth new ways to do things. That's, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a, an overall objective that uh, perhaps uh, the purpose, the reason why we're here uh, you know, we're, why we're living beings is to perhaps make the world a better place. Is that does that go along with the philosophy, Doctor Doctor Kathy? Well, you know, science of mind when it first began was really about personal spiritual awakening and to to come to know one's oneness with God and to be that Christ truth in unique expression, or to be that good in nature here on earth and to bring heaven to earth, so to speak. And, and I think that, that our organization and our philosophy has been evolving too because we realize we're in the world and we're part of the world. And so the idea of taking the principles that we've used well in our own personal lives and using them on behalf of the planet is something that means a lot to many of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our organizational branding line is we teach spiritual tools to improve our lives and make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that is what we're about. Mm-hmm. That's so, what we're about individually, because we're seeking to bring a transformed person into engagement in the world, mm-hmm. and to do work good. Mm-hmm. So, a follow-up question that I'd like to ask is this: uh, I earlier, uh, when when you described how you uh, came uh, onto the path, uh, the spiritual path that that uh, brought you to where you are now. Uh, you mentioned the death of your father was uh, part of that, and I was I was wondering um, whether just what is there a belief in an afterlife, or is our life on Earth just just kind of it for us? You know, is that is that all there is for us, or does the soul or whatever spiritual part of us continue to exist in some form? I mean, I think I lost a little bit of your question, but I heard that last part. You know, again, I don't know what the truth is, but I can share with you what Science of Mind says. Mm-hmm. And um, Ernest Holmes wrote that uh, he believes that the movement of life is always onward and up the spiral, and that we're here um, for the learning and advancement of our souls, and that when the learning is gained, the body is dropped and the soul is gone. And the idea was that we, for him, was that we keep on keeping on that we are ageless, deathless, and immortal beings, and that we're actually living an immortal life now, even though the bodies that we're in have 
um, have a time limit on them, at least it looks to be so. And so for, for Ernest Holmes, for many of us in Science of Mind, we, we think that death is not the ending of life, it's just the movement on into a new life. And that who we are as a unique entity in the reality of God carries on and on and on. Hey Matt, you've been uh, relatively quiet tonight. Did you have anything that you wanted to ask Reverend Kathy? Oh, I have a bunch of stuff. Um, <laughs> I'd be trying to see what would what would really be what would mesh with something that you were kind of on at the time. I I do a lot of thinking, like analytically as an engineer, and also um, philosophically. Um, I like to to challenge what I can in my own brain. Um, I'm I'm just glancing over my notes here. Uh, so I I read over the tenets and uh, I'm looking at like uh, all disease is mental in origin. Uh, right thinking has a healing effect. I mean, some of these are are, are very agreeable with my thoughts, uh, but like. Like, say, spirit is ultimate reality. That seems like something that I will not be answering anytime soon. I mean, that that seems like a, a more... That seems like that, that's going to need... Uh, that's going to be a, a, a quest for me to think about that one, right? How would you describe that, Dr. Uh, Reverend Kathy? You know, I, th I think what I'm not exactly sure what Matthew is reading, but um, but I appreciate the question. I think what that says is that behind all that is visible is the invisible, and we could call that spirit. Okay, well, um, I kind of I found myself uh, sort of in between. Actually, so in philosophy, there's materialism. WXPI eighty eight point five independent radio for open so, minds. Um, it's it's not really enough for me just to say that I think that all things are material, but I just want to say that I, I I allow material in my mind to do anything it wants to do. So there's really no restriction. So in other words, it's it's just almost like saying, will you allow yourself to redefine this word material or not? And I've I've said okay, that's fine with me, and I've gone with it a little further and added in functional materialism because I think like what we really communicate to each other is the function that's served from from our minds, from our bodies as vessels or however you might look at it, rather than the actual, uh, you know, um, blood, like oxygen content in the blood or the potassium ions within the cell. Like what we're really concerned about is the, um, and communicating to each other is the function. So, uh, Having said that, now, I, I think it just comes down to acceptance of different definitions and the words that we use to to express different things to one another. So, it, you know, what is spirit and what is reality and what is the ultimate reality? I guess that would be, um, that would change what this statement means when, you, when one would read it, right? I mean, if you had right. different interpretations. Definitely. Well, I, I had a specific question. Uh, um, I'm seeing morality. I, I've kind of backtracked from religions and beliefs, sects, 
and codes back down into a more general broad base which would be like morality and underneath that I'm interpreting that there is um, a notion of existential sustainability that's what I'm calling it like um, attempts at fairness and and thought that we give attention that we give to and this is how we arrive at words like good and bad right and wrong is is we we see that some things will cause some sort of detriment to ourselves or others so we put that in the category of okay it's it's better not to have that happen and i think all this comes from the very the very foundation of existential sustainability our interpretation of it i mean um do you do you see that that structure i mean is that is that kind of like the skeleton of what is morality and belief hmm <laughs> or am I too, too much of a mechanical engineer like in that uh <laughs> <laughs> it's really i i just love that phrase existential sustainability <laughs> um you know morality isn't a word i think about very often um not, not that I seek to do immoral things, and I certainly know what that means. I, I'm not sure I know how to answer that, Matthew. Uh, you know, I, I think it, I think it's worth. Um, I think it's important for us to look at how at the effect that we have in the world, and whether what we do contributes to life or takes away from life. You can see I keep it kind of simple in a right brain sort of way. You know that. Uh, yeah, I'm into keeping it simple. What's the effect I'm having every day? Am I making things better or making things not better? Yes, thank you. Yeah. I'm wondering if what you're referring to is some kind of uh, simply behavior based on an ethical foundation for the individual, whatever that is. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, okay. And maybe even more than just creating a guiding light for myself, I'm trying to uh, find the reason for why people believe what they believe, and I'm trying to see like a, like a greater picture that might span over eons rather than just what's happened in the last 10, 20 years. You know, you know from just studying evolution and studying... Uh, the cosmos and studying um, these different things in college, um, chemistry, and um, just trying to think like I, it might just be a lot simpler than what than what it first seems. There might be some kind of simple progression. Uh, when we look at life, we wouldn't expect something simple, but there might be some simple thing, some simple threads, and and patterns that we see. And that's when that existential sustainability popped up. Well, Matt, um, I don't know. It seems to me that large, uh, large portion of what it is that the individual believes or doesn't believe is—I um, guess this is probably a debatable point—but is is culturally based. You know, if you grew up in a certain place at a certain time, in a, you know, <clears throat> you believe whatever the zeitgeist at the time is, unless you're a radical. And you probably are, but uh, <laughs> um, what I mean is, uh, so much of—I uh, mean, you can see it uh, all over the world. So much of, um, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, 
specific to spirituality or religion, but just the ways in which you uh, look at the world is determined um, by the house that you grew up in, the way, you know, the adoption of what your parents believed and the way in which they interpreted the world and uh, your classmates and, you know, your peer group, etc. And I think, you know, so, so what came before that? How did that continue? I mean, as, as far back into antiquity as you go, you know, you don't, as a small child, grow up in an isolated environment, you know, um, completely devoid of other people's perceptions of reality um, being, you know, forced sort of upon you. I mean, you grew up into a system that you didn't necessarily choose, um, and I, I think I think more of the question is how do you how do you break free from that? How do you break free from, you know, to, to really explore your own unique experience of reality? Um, without it being completely overshadowed by the cultural reality that you grew up in and the mores of the time, you know, to explore your own truth. So, unless I'm mistaken, it seems that that's, you know, uh, largely the underlying subtext of the question, you know, like, why do we believe this and, and, and how can you change that? I'm thinking that uh, the fact that we are here, uh, you know, to begin with, and and we are uh, questioning, you know, whatever whatever teachings and and socialization and ethnic, uh, perhaps uh, cultural uh, mores that we grew up with and went through our lives with. Many people grow through their lives without questioning that at all. You know, they never they never to them they just simply accept. You know what what was what was taught to them, uh, and and they don't think about the possibility of ever changing their thinking in any way and I think the fact that we are here uh, is, is I think a step in the right direction you know that uh, and I think it's necessary that as many people as possible you know in addition to this group you know uh, begin to question um, you know what is right and what is what is a better way than perhaps what what we grew up with that we can uh you know attain that sense of inner peace and a sense that we are doing the right thing for for ourselves and the world leanne you've also been somewhat absent from this conversation and yet you have a brand new headset mike can i please hear your voice there we go. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a brand new mic that I'm learning how to use. So, um, yeah, Santa came early this year. Um, first of all, um, I would like to say that it is an absolute honor to be recording with you. And um, I've actually found a lot of similarities between religious science and the church that I attended back home. Um, I went to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Lakeland, which has um, a very non-judgmental, truth-based, you know, whatever somebody's particular truth happens to be, um, without those judgments. So I'm kind of curious, uh, what would you consider the first signs of what some would consider a more enlightened awakening or consciousness that would lead someone to embrace the religious science outlook in life and spirit. Like, um, what would be one of the unifying transformations that one would most definitely come to in their spiritual journey that takes them away from the isolation of religion and into a more common brotherhood of souls? 
You're asking me that question. That's a beautiful question. You know, um, I, I actually, this is probably not the, the answer that you might be expect, expecting, but I think it is the pain in life that sets us on the spiritual path in many cases. And that we go through things in life where we're feeling at the effect of life and uh, the pain of that, I think, one day begets, becomes just a little bit too much. And we say somewhere within us, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do it this way again. And so I think perhaps we begin, at least I did anyway, began to quest out of that desire to, uh, to know more and to live a life uh, that felt more free and happy. And I think in the process of my own personal quest in that way, then it opened up into, you know, and how do I live my life now with other people in a way that is productive and, and helpful? But I would love to know how you answer that question, Leanne. I can only speak from personal experience. And for me, um, it was more from the fact that ever since I was a child, I've always had a very questioning nature and I've always had um, a love of knowledge and of searching and uh, always trying to know the truth and I think that as long as one does not want to be stagnant as long as they continue questioning and trusting their instincts knowing that they're on the right path for them without condemning those around them um, an acceptance that there are so many different paths and that it is not within our rights to say, well, you know, I, I believe this, and because it says in my religious teachings that I'm right and you're wrong, then I have a right to look down on you and I have a right to judge you. Um, it's a matter of accepting what you believe as well without having to worry about the judgments of others where you feel comfortable trusting that voice that's inside you that does guide you that guides each of us in our own individual ways so um, once fear is removed because I've, I've discovered that so much dogma throughout the world contains fear and it's fear based and it's you have to believe this or there are going to be repercussions and once you move beyond that and and understand that that presence inside you that questions is a real presence it's, it is real and it is okay to listen to it then I think everything else begins to strip itself away 